Welcome to our fourth quarter Market Outlook webcast. I'm John Morey, Head of Client Service and Business Development at Fiduciary Trust. I hope that you and your families are healthy and benefiting from the recoveries that are underway in many parts of the country and world. In today's discussion, we'll help you stay one step ahead by sharing our perspective on the following topics. One, the current economic landscape and the expected drivers of future growth. Two, the potential impact of proposed federal tax law changes and possible reduction in Federal Reserve asset purchases. Three, the current level of, of the markets and potential risks. And finally, our investment outlook by asset class. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olson, our Chief Investment Officer, who will share our perspective on these important topics. Over to you, Austin, to begin today's discussion. Thank you, John. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be back here in person. I'm joined by with Hans Olson. It's great to be back, Austin. It is great to be back. We are broadcasting from our offices at 53 State in Boston. Uh, as you may know, we had uh, been operating for the last uh, five of these uh, remotely, but here we are together. And Hans, let's jump right in. Uh, the last time that we were discussing uh, getting together, we were talking about uh, where the COVID uh, rates were going to be. Uh, many companies were planning on a uh, post-summer uh, re-entry, um, but as we saw, that a lot of that got postponed uh, due to the Delta variant. Um, how did it all play out uh, in, a, in a quick summary, um, the third quarter, both COVID and the markets? Definitely didn't play out uh, on the COVID side as everyone had hoped. Um, as you said, the, the Delta variant um, vaccine hesitancy both combined to create a, yet another surge in infections that, that, operate, that basically ran through the summer. Thankfully, as of the end of uh, September, it looks like that is beginning to roll over once again, and there is more and more uptake in the in the vaccine. And indeed, it looks like children might might be uh, available uh, uh, eligible for uh, the vaccine in the coming weeks. So that's all very uh, positive from a market's perspective. That malaise, if you will, sort of that that hopes uh, posited but but a bit dashed created a bit of a malaise in markets over the last uh, three months, um, whether it was narrative fatigue, COVID fatigue, uh, it all came into play. And, and the markets overall for the, for the third quarter were, were pretty mixed. Um, you know, uh, large cap stocks were up, emerging market stocks were down. Most uh, uh, fixed income securities were flat to, to mixed. Um, so it was a, a, a pretty um, uh, fairly mixed quarter, nothing major. Um, interestingly enough, Austin, if you look at sort of narrative themes running mm -hmm. through the market, sort of the reopening theme and the uh, uh, work from home theme, companies that uh, if you were to basket companies in each of those, they were both down over the quarter. So I think there was this sort of wandering of what's the story going to be? When are we finally going to get back into the office like we are now? Well, we've talked about sort of this this divergence between what we're observing in our in our neighborhoods and our homes, and obviously COVID related, and then the stock market. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the things we're going to talk about is the relationship of the stock market to the Fed balance sheet and so forth. Yeah. But talk to me because normally over long periods of time, the uh, investment universe largely follows the path of economic growth. 
Um, and uh, as you start to think about this last quarter of the year, um, how do you think about the economic growth here in the States more broadly, the drivers of that year over year? Um, talk to me about economic uh, real production. So the, the story around global growth and indeed growth here at home remains one, that, uh, one that's very positive. So globally, um, the OECD reckons that uh, we'll grow something on the order of about 5.7% this year. Pretty good growth. And, and is that year over year, and is that, that influenced by last year being so different? Uh, this, that's year over year growth. So, um, uh, and, and some of that without a doubt is pulled by lower levels of, you know, sort of the base effects from last year, but overall quite good. And, it, and it's expected to grow again next year, not quite as much as 5.7%, as probably closer to 5-ish. To but growth here, the, the, the real story there is that Growth in the U.S., big snapback this year, will probably grow something over 6%, but next year we're expected to grow somewhere on the order of about 4.9%. Oh. So still above trend growth that we've had over the last 10 years. So, you know, the story is one where it's mixed, where the growth is slowing, but it's still elevated. And, and that is flowing through to your earlier point about earnings. Uh, you know, earnings are gonna grow somewhere on the order of 40% this year, year over year. Now that's base effects for sure. But even next year, earnings growth um, after the snapback expected to expand by something on the order of 10%. That probably gets revised, but the fact of the matter is uh, that's a, a second follow-on year of pretty good growth. So Hans, this growth, uh, do you see it uh, concentrating in particular industries or types of businesses or sort of across, across the spectrum? Well, indeed, um, pretty much a across the spectrum. Interestingly enough, uh, Austin, um, the strongest performer this year, probably the strongest performance in 40 years has been the energy sector. Hmm. So, so, and that is, that's been a sector that's been sort of in the investment doghouse for, for quite some time, and energy is at the forefront of earnings growth this year, and, and indeed, you know, it's the sector of the market that has put up some of the, the most spectacular returns this year. So, um, uh, it's pretty broad-based. So what I'm hearing you talk about is uh, expectations for continued growth mm -hmm. um, through this last end of end of end of this year and into next year, right? right. Um, how does that then uh, marry uh, with a lot of different policy uh, activity that's going on? Um, and and there are two ones I want to hear your thoughts on. Um, one, a lot of discussion around taxes. So uh, this time last year, we were talking a lot about taxes and tax implication. This time this year, we're talking a lot about taxes. How does that factor into these different businesses and how you think about the markets? Yeah, yeah, so, so there are two policies. Um, there's the fiscal policy uh, and monetary policy. The fiscal policy uh, has been sort of the, the checks that have been sent out in the mail and, 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 the, and the support that uh, the government was able to give to people during the pandemic. That's helped keep demand up. Mm -hmm. And then there was the fiscal policy, which essentially uh, helped to keep markets liquid and, and orderly. And those two policies, I mean, there's been a massive amount of money put against uh, the, the pandemic problem. Now that we, and that has had the impact, right, of creating both um, um, economic activity there for earnings growth, and it's really helped turbocharge asset prices, mm -hmm. set money in motion. 
where we're at the point now with these COVID rates coming down, with uh, uh, activity being good enough, and some of the, the dislocations of, that the pandemic created that we have now price problems, either by the supply chain, shortage of labor and the like. And it now has policymakers talking about, okay, is it time to bring to an end these extraordinary policies? Now, some of it is in the form of, of a changing focus on the, on the fiscal front, uh, from the government front, on, on whether we have infrastructure, both hard and soft. And on the, uh, the monetary front, do we start to wind down the extraordinary monetary policy, sort of that uh, uh, printing of $120 billion a month to go out and purchase securities to keep rates low and markets orderly? So how do you, and, and I think we've talked about this, the correlation between all this money being, I wouldn't say flooded out into the economy and how it's, it's found uh, areas to, uh, to reside, right? And, and raising valuations, right? Um, is it concerning to you uh, that as the government starts to dial this back, that valuations fall apart how, how do you think about that? Yeah, so that, that moment of policy pivot, of, if you will, uh, is one we're a bit familiar with. Uh, you know, dial it back um, to seven years or so, eight years, uh, to the um, temper tantrum. Remember, mm -hmm. that was about 2013. And that was a time when uh, we were starting to talk about unwinding all that extraordinary monetary policy. And the markets did not receive that well. It created a great deal of agita that manifested itself in uh, uh, volatility. Um, this time around, um, they're actually, you know, interestingly enough, parenthetically back then, um, there was even more quantitative easing to follow after that. Not only would the market not tolerate it, but- um, They threw more at it. Threw more at it. <laughs> so but this time around, it looks like we are truly at the point where they're going to um, reduce um, uh, the, the, uh, the support uh, from, the balance, from the Fed balance sheet perspective. There's been sort of the unsung piece of this is that as the Fed's balance sheet expanded, so did the equity market, it, as we've talked about this in the past, and housing prices, bond prices, all of it. But you see it really quite clearly in the equity market. Mm -hmm. that, that balance sheet grew, the equity market went up. Um, and and as that gets taken away, and as there's more of a market-determined price of money, the question remains, can, that, can the uh, valuations sustain themselves? You know, market valuations right now uh, are at, at extreme highs going back over the last 20 years. So um, essentially, in most cases, that they've never been higher. Or if you put it in percentile terms, you know, 80 to 90% to, to of the time, um, market valuations are lower than where they are right now. now. Yeah, and in, and in terms of yields, um, you know, we're probably 95% of the time yields are below where they are right now. Uh -huh. So, you know, we're looking at a capital market landscape that has been a beneficiary of all this money. And the question is, as this money starts to recede, mm -hmm. not only from balance sheet um, 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 shrinkage, which eventually will happen, but less money will be hitting the market. But at the same time, we talk about this other policy perspective, which is taxes, right? right? That is, that takes out money out of the economy as well. Uh, you know, discretionary money out of the economy as well. So, you know, as you have this liquidity coming out of the system, the question is, you know, can it support these asset prices? As the tide came in and lifted all the, you know, boats in the harbor, 
as the tide starts to come out, will all the boats go down, and, and who will go down more than others? And do you have a do you have a point of view? So I think one of the point you make is, given this, it's more likely than not we'll have increased volatility, right? So one day it might be up a lot, one day it might be down a lot. That's volatility, right? Um, are, do you have a perspective about are there particular asset classes, geographies, characteristics, factors that you would expect to see more volatility or changes? And, and, and does it stage out over a period of time? Or how, yeah. do, you, how do you evaluate it? Well, it's interesting. I think that the first tell, and you're hitting on it, is, is overall volatility. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that um, start to pick up in the equity market. Um, you know, it was higher earlier in the year. It sort of died down over the course of the summer. And we're at the moment where it's starting to pick up again. Mm -hmm. um, that's number one. Interestingly enough, you know, if you look at credit spreads and the like, those all remain pretty low. They've, they've ticked up a bit, but they remain pretty low. And, and, the, and the yields are beginning to, in the uh, fixed income market, are beginning to tick up a little bit. And mm -hmm. I think that's all indicative of expecting a policy change in one hand and two, this notion of growth coming through. The risks to this, quite, quite simply, uh, I think you can find them first in the fixed income markets uh, uh, with long dated bonds. I think those get to be um, very fraught with risk as, as we start to work our way back to some sort of market determined interest rate. That's number one. Number two, you know, some of those very uh, high growth stocks that might have been not very long on earnings, but long <laughs> on story, or have any earnings, but have been the beneficiary of this money flow, those folks start to, to become suspect as well. And as the performance starts to flatten out, and indeed could roll over. And so what we would expect to see is a, a bit of a shift in where, uh, where one makes money. You know, if you compare and contrast, you know, the S&P 500 over, over June, uh, excuse me, September, the last month of the quarter, S&P was down about a point and a half, 100 to 150 basis points more than the same index in an equal weighted basis versus a market cap weighted basis. So that's telling you that there's rotation going on in the market. Hans, just to clarify for our audience, when we talk about a market weight uh, index versus an equal weight index, what we're talking about is uh, still owning all, let's say S&P 500, all 500 stocks. It's just the weighting of that combination, right? Precisely. And so in an equal weight, uh, we, uh, each one of those stocks, you own the same amount for all 500. And in a market weight, it is the largest market capitalized stocks happen to hold a greater percentage of the total, right? Yes. So again, I think the example being is the top five stocks today, account for something like 15 to 20% of the whole 500 stocks together. In the market cap, yes. Okay. And how does, speaking about yields, how, how are you interpreting, the, again, we were talking mm -hmm. about the Fed balance sheet, yeah. about policy, uh, policy. Uh, where do you see uh, the Treasury yields uh, headed? Uh, and again, this aspect of um, full employment around managing inflation, um, how does that all sort of come together as your th perspectives around treasury yields? I think we're looking now, we are at the foothills of higher yields. Okay. Um, so as we look forward, you know, these supply chain issues, Austin, in some cases, it's going to take a year, year and a half to work through these. 
The labor issues probably, um, that could be a similar amount of time. There's things going on in the labor market right now. I don't know that we fully appreciate. Um, an older population that becomes uh, less attached to the labor force, you know, people as a result of the pandemic sort of reevaluating how they want to order their, their work lives. This all has going to have an impact on um, the availability of labor. And, and because of it's an issue of availability, it's an issue of supply, and therefore uh, price will come into, into play. So I think you know, when we look at these price rises that we're likely to see, inflation probably coming up to a level higher than where it's been over the last 10 to 15 years, this is all going to put pressure on interest rates to, to move higher. Ultimately, the question is going to be, you know, how, how fast and how committed uh, the central bank is to its normalization program. And, and that's easier said than done. So to inflation, mm -hmm. you've mentioned over the last 10 years, we've been in sort of a 2% sort of range. Yeah, on average, uh, right under 2%, about uh, 1.7, 1 1.8, so close enough. You know, very durably low inflation when you, when you look at it, uh, you know, over time. So that looks like it's changing. And given the supply chain and given the, the changing workforce, you, would you say sort of a, a, a steady state structural inflation that we should get more used to would be more 3%? I think there's a real possibility for 3%. Now it's important to remember that uh, 3% is uh, you know, significantly higher than where it has been in the past. It's lower than where it's currently running. Right. But I think the economy can operate uh, okay at 3%. You can plan at 3%. Um, number one, and number two, for the equity market, which pays a lot of attention to inflation, um, equity market multiples tend to work just fine in a 3% in a inflationary environment. Um, I guess that always raises this question about uh, when people hear inflation, uh, the question that say, people say is, what should I invest in to protect myself uh, and my holdings, right? Uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about um, one, real returns, right. so right, you know, how we think about uh, after you factor in inflation, what you're getting, and your perspective about over a long period of time, a lot of people say run to gold, uh, don't run, how do, you, how do you think about inflation protection? So I guess to look where you're not getting inflation and protection is uh, if you look at the yield on the 10-year treasury. So if you were to buy 10-year treasury securities uh, right now, the yield that you would get on that security, um, uh, depending upon you know, which market base you use, it's somewhere between negative 1% and negative 4 or 5%. I mean, it's, it's remarkably So I would be in a, losing in a real, I would be losing buying power buying power into a pretty good clip as well. And that's just a function of inflation running higher than the, uh, the yield on the security. And, and that is not unusual. I mean, that right now, that pretty much exists throughout the treasury curve, uh, uh, right across the landscape and investment grade, uh, and even into some of the high yield market. So that's where the risk is. The, the opportunity, I think, is how you make money through this environment is the equity market tends to be the best place. They have the pricing power. Mm -hmm. And as long as you have inflation that is running um, below 5%, uh, I think 3% is just fine. 4% gets a little uncomfortable. But if, if we end up 
sitting somewhere three, three and a half percent. Um, you know, companies have uh, pricing power. It doesn't upset the multiples. Um, they can, you know, in some cases they can increase their prices, uh, and you you can live through it. You you get through it. Um, and so as we're thinking about it, we're looking at the market as we were talking about earlier not just about how the market it presents itself through the market cap weighted, but where else are the opportunities for us in light of, of this changing environment? How else might we take some of these exposures? Do we focus on quality more? Do we focus on momentum? Do we focus on value, you know, value or valuation? Things like that. So still maintaining a presence in the asset class, but approaching it in a slightly different way. Indeed, and we did that earlier this year, and it's worked out very nicely for us when we started to take money into a, uh, an equal weighted exposure mm -hmm. to the market. That's turned out to be exactly the right thing to do, and it, again, helped us in uh, September. If, this is, if, this, if these things that we've been talking about are truly in train, there's more of that to come, and we're looking at other ways that we can take advantage of that. Hans, before we wrap up and we do our around the bases of different asset classes, um, we haven't talked about uh, outside the United States. Um, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, uh, Europe, uh, developed international markets, um, and then also um, your thoughts on China uh, and how you think about investing in that, that space right now. Yeah, yeah. Europe, um, when we think about emerging markets, developed international markets and the like, um, Europe looks like they continue to be behind us. And that's mm -hmm. been a sort of a theme that we've had. Valuations are good. Um, uh, they are, um, I don't think they were quite as muscular as we were because they can't be in dealing with the, the issues of, of the pandemic. But the valuation's certainly good. The, the, the business um, surveys that we see suggest that things are turning. And there's even talk about, do they need all the extraordinary policy uh, that's been brought to bear as well? So they're, they're behind us, moving in the same direction. So we continue to like that market, for sure. Um, China, uh, the, uh, the other emerging markets, uh, other in the emerging markets, rather, yep. um, Interesting, we've got an equal weight in the area right now in our, our recommended uh, positioning. Um, but you know, on a risk-adjusted basis, the developed world looks better to us. China's an interesting case in point. So there's a lot going on with China. Uh, they have their own sort of uh, financial crisis that they're working through right now with Evergrande. Uh, no, it will not be a Lehman moment. But more importantly, we have kept away from China. We, we've cut China a wide breadth haven't invested in any of the bonds, haven't done anything in emerging market debt, I haven't put any specific money in that market, and we haven't for several reasons. One, we just don't think the investor protections exist, and we've seen that uh, with some of the IPOs that they've pulled. We think that there's the geopolitical uh, issues right now will are, are one, fraught with, with trouble for investors, and two, won't be resolved anytime soon, and three, um, even though they are probably the beacon of growth in many respects mm -hmm. of, of big countries, that growth looks somewhat threatened uh, and it looks like it could fall. And so as a consequence, we have tried to cut a very wide berth around the Chinese market and we'll continue to do so. Until, again, I think you probably would say, uh, longer term, there's a lot of opportunity, uh, uh, but it, it need to enter that at the right time. Right, right. R the right time and the right conditions. And those conditions at this juncture don't seem to be presenting themselves. So unless and until they do, 
we'll find other places to, to commit capital and make money. Hans, let me ask, um, uh, sort of conclude with your perspectives across the different asset classes, and I guess before the specifics of each one, as we go into a period of volatility, um, should we expect, we talk, one of the reasons that I think we like multi-asset class investing is because of correlation factors, where if one moves one way, another moves a different way, and over a long period of time, that one benefits from that. During a period like we're entering now, um, uh, and the increased volatility that you talked about, is this a time where you see the correlations between asset classes um, hold firm, come tighter together, and they all move in one direction? Or how do you, again, so I want to hear your thoughts on each individual one, but again, also back to this point about diversification, how you think about it during volatile times. Yeah, diversification in, in moments of extremists, mm -hmm. right, um, generally doesn't help you because everybody looks for the door in risk assets at the same time. And your best, uh, uh, if you have the ability to step away, you simply step away. You, you so step a longer away. term horizon. Right. Just look through it and, and, and beyond it is, is the forever the best uh, way to deal with that. Um, but as things start to settle out, these correlations, so, so during that moment of crisis, the correlations tend to go to one. And we've seen that happen time and time again. And then if you can look through it, things start to settle, the, cor the normal correlations start to reassert themselves again, and you get the benefits of diversification. Um, so I would expect as we move forward, and we've already seen some of it, we saw some of this uh, last month in September, uh, you know, the equity markets were largely down, yep. right? And uh, uh, most of the fixed income, if you look across the fixed income landscape, everything was down, except for high yield, um, both, you know, domestic and foreign. So, uh, you know, so we didn't, you didn't get much from diversification last month. Um, but as we, as you, as you go through time, these, these, um, these correlations move around, and we think over time, that's the benefit of, of uh, diversification. Tell me your thoughts across the different asset classes. Um, uh, any particular ones that, that favored now or changing positions within our, our macro perspective? Yeah, so the, first, the, the, the two that we continue to like, um, and, and, and it sound a bit like a broken record here, but the numbers are the numbers, right? Uh, and, and the opportunities are there, would be uh, large cap US, but thinking about it in a different way, as we've talked about, uh, and um, uh, developed international, which is we really see we're talking about Europe, we're not talking about Japan. And then um, I think shorter duration security, so, so you know, structured credit and the like, where you, when you, you know, it's hard to understand, but when you do the work, what you find is you've got some pretty good valuation protection inside mm -hmm. that, and you've got some decent carry or yield that you can enjoy relative to the inflation rate. So you're doing a better job at protecting the purchasing power of the capital. Those would be the, the, the areas that we are, are we really continue to like the areas that we don't like. Um, you know, longer duration, fixed income, um, even investment grade these days, uh, and high yield. You're just not getting enough there. So we're looking for other opportunities to to maintain the purchasing power of that capital. Maybe the equity market, maybe structured credit, maybe some of the private markets. Excellent. Well, thank you, Hans. It's great to be back together here. Um, and we look forward to uh, you all joining us uh, at the end of the year 
uh, and we will look forward into the next year, 2022. Again, thank you. Thank you, Austin. I'd also like to express appreciation to our audience for joining us. We hope that you found the discussion useful. We are at a complex juncture for the economy and global markets. At Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, trust, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it and achieve their goals. I encourage you to access our insights through our website at fidtrustco.com or through reaching out to a fiduciary trust officer if we can be of assistance. If you do not have a fiduciary trust contact, please write, reach out to me, John Morey, at 617-292-6799 or at morey at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining, and we wish you and your family health and well-being. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and viewers should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors. Copyright 2021 Fiduciary Trust Company.